0: on practices of the church. Tonight we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Uh, I've never preached a sermon on this other than like setting up a time where we would take the Lord's Supper. I've never never really gone through systematically and tried to just teach about it. Um, It's kind of one of those things where it seems like you learn by experience, and I think there's a lot of value to that. But the Lord's Supper is something that Christians have practiced all over the world going all the way back to the first century when Jesus Installed this as a part of church life. Um, And so I'm going to try to help us maybe understand it, uh, which is really difficult because the Lord's Supper is a massive mystery to us. It's not possible to understand it fully. It's supposed to have some grayness to it, some blind spots in it. Uh, There's something, there's just so much more going on that meets the eye. And so we're going to look at what we do know and then uh, trust that there's enough in the black and white to fill in the gray. That we can uh, dig into it more deeply, the uh, the grace that comes to us when we partake, partake in the Lord's Supper um, is not always easy to understand. But I, I want to present th- kind of three themes that I came across in studying and uh, over the last probably two years of of being exposed to different um, different ideas and different practices and hearing about uh, churches and their and are sort of uh, recapturing this, especially Baptist churches. Uh, three themes, uh, that, three big things that, that happened. The first one um, we kind of see clearly described here in 1 Corinthians 11. So let's look at the, at the text. Um, this is the earliest account in terms of when the New Testament books were actually written. This is the earliest one that we have. So this is probably the closest to the actual Last Supper that we have in order to, to see exactly what the church was thinking and how they were practicing it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That last verse is going to be kind of the, the focal point for a lot of tonight. Um, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's something that happens in, when we partake of the Lord's supper that we have to think of in terms of like linear time. And I'm going to use an illustration, uh, like a visual thing, so I apologize to anyone who might be podcasting this. This might only make sense to me, and I'm fully aware of it. So if it doesn't make sense to anyone else, just keep it to yourself. Uh, that would be great. So um, I was going to use Tinker Toys, but I, this didn't work right. So, um, so let's, uh, le- let's, let's have this thing... This is the moment, like this is the moment that you take communion, that you step to the table, uh, the body of Christ broken for you, as you tear the bread off, the blood of Christ poured out for you, as you dip the bread into the juice and as you take it. This is this is the moment, okay? Um, and this is gonna this is gonna function. These two rods right here are gonna function as kind of a kind of a timeline. All right. Um, so let's say that this is the moment. This would be the past, and this would be the future. And the momentum of linear time is to the center of that moment. So, the first thing that happens, uh, or the first thing in in this list of three that happens, um, is that the past and the future are are drawn into the moment, into that center moment. The past and the future. Okay, so the past, what, what are we talking about in the past? Um, well, you can go all the way back to the Passover. So uh, Israel, the, the Jews had been enslaved in Egypt. They had uh, been there for, for uh, 400 years of slavery. And the Passover was the, the end of all the plagues when they put the blood over the doorposts. And the Spirit of God passed over Egypt. And uh, the, all the firstborn were killed unless you had blood over the, the doorposts. And that's when Pharaoh said, get out of here. And that's when they left Egypt. Egypt. And so they leave Egypt, and from that point forward, they practice the Passover meal. It was a celebration. It was, it was the family coming together, and they systematically walk through this meal where they uh, tell the story through different things on the plate and different roles that they play. And it starts off, and there's a, one of the young children will say, Father, why is this day different from all the other days? And the father begins to recite the story. And he says, because this is when God rescued us from Egypt. Uh, the Passover meal, uh, w- actually, it, it, would, it would tie the Jewish faithful into the story. It was not because the, the, the understanding was not, because it was not the, where the father would say, well, this is when our ancestors were rescued. He says, no, it's when we were rescued. And so the Passover meal comes after the Passover event and the Passover event is, is this divine act of rescue and liberation. And so they practiced it every year. And as they moved toward the promised land, they kept practicing it. Kept practicing it. And then once they got into the promised land, they kept practicing it all the way until Jesus' day. So there's the Passover meal. You get into Jesus' day. Um, and when it was the Passover like celebration, that's when uh, all of the events surrounding the cross were taking place. And so on that Thursday night, he gathered the disciples together for the Passover meal to celebrate with them. And as they're going through the meal, he sort of hits pause and he um, enhances the meaning of what's going on in the way that we see here. He takes the bread. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the cup. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. He takes that Passover meal, which had been practiced for so long, and he, in, he like inserts into the Passover this understanding of the cross and his own sacrifice and what was to come, that the cross would be another Passover. The first Passover was, was uh, about um, God's mercy in the midst of divine judgment, and God rescuing and liberating them from that. And then the cross was a new Passover, where God is, is, His mercy is there, and He's rescuing us from sin. And so you have the Passover, you have the Lord's Supper, I'm sorry, you have the Passover, you have the Last Supper, with Jesus and the disciples, and He told them, you need to keep doing this. And so they kept doing this. And so the Lord's Supper becomes this thing that happens, and happens, and happens, and happens, and it's happened ever since He instituted it, all the way till this very moment. And so when, when this verse, verse 26 when it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's past, but this is present. For as often as you drink it, you proclaim So we're pulling all of the past into this moment. That this, that's a part of the mystery. And, we're, and, and just like during the Passover meal, we're not trying to remember something that happened to other people a long time ago. We're, we're being brought into that moment. One author, he said, it's almost really like in that moment, you're in the upper room with Jesus. It's mysterious. It's beautiful that somehow God is bringing the past into the present. But the verse also says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is on this end of the timeline. So if this is linear time, past over here, present right here, future over here, the momentum from the past is into the moment, but the momentum from the future is also like here. So we're pulling our future in as well. Um in uh, you talked about verse twenty-six. Let me throw these verses at you real quick. Revelation nineteen nine says, And the angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So in our future there is a banquet. Like There's this big feast that's going to happen. It's what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 26, verse 29, where he says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Back here, Jesus says, I'm not going to do this again until we're over here. So there's this future reality that we have on the new earth with Jesus and with one another. And it's going to involve food, and so there's food in our past, and there's food in our future, and there's a little bit of food now, and so those are both dragged into the present in a way that, again, is incredibly mysterious. N. T. Wright, as uh, the Archbishop of, of Canterbury, and he says that that it's almost like there. You know, there's a story in the, in the Old Testament where they sent the the uh, they were spying on the promised land and they sent the spies in and the spies brought back food from the promised land and they're sitting there and they're eating of this food and they're being like are you kidding me like this is the the place God is taking us has this kind of food he says that's what communion is like in terms of that that marriage supper of the lamb that future feast with Jesus is that we get to in this moment get a glimpse a foretaste a, a foreshadowing of what is to come and so the past and the future are brought into the present. So in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, saying in every present moment that you have, you're proclaiming his death from the past until he comes, which is in the future. Both of those things are coming together in this like, centered moment for us. Now you can dismiss that and be like, oh, that's so mystic or that's so like whatever. Or you can be like, Yes. That's more than just some, some sort of uh, religious ceremony that we go through because it's just what you do. There's a lot more going on here in 1 Corinthians. There's a lot more going on from Jesus' perspective as to why he handed this down as a sacrament, as an ordinance for us. There's a lot more to it. So in the present moment, we are participating with Jesus. We're, we're involved with him. We're connecting with him. The covenant Think about it like this. The covenant faithfulness of God in our past and the covenant faithfulness of God in our future are drawn together and mashed into the present where His covenant will be held true to us. His faithfulness to us in these moments has got to bring hope. And so for the Lord's Supper, for you to step forward into that and be thinking along these lines has got to infuse hope to whatever is going on in this particular moment for you. Worst day of your life, worst week of your life, worst season of your life. You step to the table and God is saying, I've been faithful, I'm going to be faithful, I am faithful, now. We're saying, I I believe that, I, I want to believe that, I need that. And so we step into that moment and all those things melt together for us. this moment is about remembering, it's about anticipating, it's about proclaiming as we've just physically um, embraced the work of Christ through this simple act of eating bread and drinking wine. You see the phrase a lot uttered that it's an embodied parable. That in what we practice together, we're reenacting this parable. And as the church has said for a very long time, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's what we celebrate in this moment here. So, that's the first thing that we can think about is that the past and the future are brought into the present. And we remember, we proclaim, we celebrate, we grab onto the covenant faithfulness of God, meeting us in the moment, giving us exactly what we need. So that's the first thing. The second thing. That's right. There's more. Okay. Second thing that happens is that uh, that heaven and earth unite. The he- you know we talk about that sometimes about the 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 fact that the the kingdom of God is here. That that heaven in a to like the first century Jewish community, heaven was not this way up there kind of thing. It's this all around us kind of thing and. And in times when the, when the church gathers and the church worships and we're together and you feel like the, the separation between heaven and earth, sometimes it seems really, really, really vast. And there are times when it feels super thin, almost like it's non-existent, you know, the heaven and earth are one. And communion is one of those times when that happens. And so if we're thinking linear time, like moving to the middle here, past and future coming into the present, these rods are in terms of thinking that, that, that earth and heaven, right? Heaven up here, earth, right? Heaven and earth are coming here. So all the momentum is going toward the yellow thing, okay? That heaven and earth are meeting as the past and the future are meeting. And where does that come from? Well, glad you asked. Uh, through this whole timeline, God being with his people, like that's like the main thing that, that seems to be important to God in terms of relating to us like he loves us that's important that's just that's already there what's important to him is that we know that he loves us and that we know him his love best when we know his presence with us and so we see him always trying like trying to let us know that he's near and so with Abraham and and the like Abrahamic covenant uh, God is like speaking to him and leading him, and he shows up with Abraham and Isaac on the mountain, and, and he's, he's there with them. Uh, Moses and the, and the shrub that's on fire speaking to him, God is with him. Uh, the Passover event, uh, just that, like the blood on the doorpost and the Spirit of God coming over, like all that stuff, God is with his people. As they wander through the desert, he's there with them, either a, a pillar of fire or a cloud, and he's guiding them and telling them when to go and when to stop. Um, he's there with them, providing food out of water, out of rocks, and manna on the ground, and quail just dropping from heaven when they're hungry. And it's just this amazing provision and the presence of God that's constant. Uh, we see it in the incarnation of Jesus. We see it at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. We see all this stuff on this part of the timeline. He's just—he's constantly saying, "I'm with you. I'm 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 with you." Our future is with. Jesus, like in this real like earth city thing where we can like hang out with him, unencumbered. And now we have like God's Spirit living in us in these moments. And so God being with his people is very important. And so many of those events are always tied with these, these meals that he has his people participating in. The Passover meal was not only about their redemption, but God's presence with them as the one who actually did the redeeming. The Passover meal was not to celebrate Moses. The Passover meal was not to celebrate Abraham. The Passover meal was to celebrate God's presence with them. Just like with Jesus in the Last Supper, just like it's going to be in the future. Communion, if it's going to be the, the past and the future coming together in this moment, it's also going to be this idea that heaven and earth are together and God is with us in this room. And sometimes that is easy to forget. So when Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you, it's important that we are thinking that the Lord's Supper is a way for us to take this belief that we have that God is always present with us in fullness and to take that reality and make it a little bit more real. Because sometimes, you know, we're singing and you can kind of feel his presence, but it's also easy to be like distracted, you know, or bored Or whatever. And so the fact that there's like bread and juice sitting over here. And that Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. It makes the reality of his presence a little bit more real to us. Let me say this on that issue. Throughout history, the church has been very divided on what actually is going on with the stuff, you know. And you have the, you really, you have two two major camps. You have the Roman Catholic camp, which believes that that the the bread and the wine like transform and actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. And then you have the Protestant position, which kind of has a lot of variations, but basically it's variations on saying no, that's not what happens. And it's been a big dividing point. And um, if you want to talk about that, then you know, we can talk about it. That's not what I'm here to talk about. As Protestants, we're obviously on the camp of saying it does not transform. Um, but I really think that, especially the more I've read, like, we just seem to have really missed the point. We've argued a lot about what's happening with those elements over there and sort of maybe missed the fact that it seems like God is wanting us to just know that he's there with us in the room. I think there's some big theological debates that can be had and some real important reasons why we're on the side of the issue that we are as Protestants. But at the end of the day, the Lord's Supper is is about the presence of God with us. We don't think that it becomes something, but we believe here at Living Hope that something special happens when we step to the table. And here's the thing. Jesus himself served the, Lo- the Last Supper. Jesus himself serves, serves the Lord's Supper with us. That it may be one of the elders or staff member or, or, or someone else that's serving it, but really Jesus is the one standing on the other side of the table. It's his idea. And so when you are being beckoned to come to the table, Jesus is the one saying, come on that Jesus is with us in the room, that his presence is there and meets you and manifests in a unique way. He's the one holding out his life to you. He's the one drawing you by faith to receive the grace that he has for you in the moment. So if you're feeling distant from God, then he's right here. (laughs) If you've wondered, is he in the room? Well, yeah, and you need further proof he's there. Think of it that way. Think of him as the one that's initiating the meal. Communion is not, a, that's just, not just a term that we use. It's not just uh, this like, church history kind of word. Like communion, you're engaging in and reclaiming and uh, solidifying the common union you have with Jesus. And he's like, here, here's my life. And you're literally consuming that. It's a common union that's there. N.T. Wright, this is what he had to say, says, Jesus, the real Jesus, the living Jesus, the Jesus who dwells in heaven and rules over earth, the Jesus who has brought God's future into the present, wants not just to influence us, but to rescue us, not just to inform us, but to heal us, not just to give us something to think about, but to feed us. And he feeds us with himself. That's what this meal is all about. So in the meal, the past and the future are brought into this moment as earth and heaven are joined together in this moment. There's this merging of all these realities. And then there's a third one. Um, That's right, there's two more. There's a third one. And it's that the covenant family shares the meal together. All right? I'm trying to hurt myself. The past and the present meet in the moment. Heaven and earth meets in the moment. And then I come to you and you come to me as a family. You come to the family. The family comes to you. There's a, there's a meeting at the table that happens. So all these things are converging at one time. Um, couple of uh, references here, so the Passover meal was a family meal. The Passover meal you had the all the parents and the grandparents and the kids and everyone coming together. Uh, Jesus shares the Last Supper with his disciples. They are pulled together first uh, corinthians eleven seventeen through thirty four is all about this corporate meal that is being had. All of church history falls in the footsteps that it is a like communal meal it is a family meal that is celebrated together you can pray in your room at your house you can open up your bible and you can learn but baptism and the lord's supper are community things they're family things they're it's not something you do by yourself it's together with us it was often, in, especially in the first century, it was embedded into this like, larger meal. And so the church would gather together and they would have like a feast. They called it the, the agape feast or the love feast. And so they're eating and they're just like having the, this good time together and they are uh, having like meaningful interaction with each other. They're talking about, uh, at that time especially, persecution and, and how it was going. They're encouraging one another and they're praying for one another and it has this deep fellowship and then at some point they would stop and they would take out the bread and take out the wine and they would partake in the Lord's Supper together. They're saying this is what makes us a family in the first place. So it was always meant to be done with other people. 1 Corinthians, this whole passage in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, is, he's correcting them on some things because what had been happening was they would have this, this like love feast and people would get there first, and they would start eating a lot, and they would start drinking a lot, and then there was nothing for the latecomers to, to have at all. And it was causing all these tensions, not to mention the fact that the early arri- arrivals were getting super drunk on the wine. And at one point, he's like, you're not doing the Lord's Supper if you think that's what this is about. You're doing something altogether different. And in the context of the first century... Table fellowship, not only was it the most intimate uh, way that you could spend time with people, but it had a way of separating the haves from the have nots. You had rich people who had tons of food, you had poor people that had no food. And at the agape feast, at the love feast, everyone had a place. It wasn't about the haves and the have nots and the rich and the poor and all that kind of stuff. It was everyone comes together, there's enough for everyone. Because the Lord's Supper is, a, is an equalizer. The Lord's Supper is an equalizer. I'll say it again. The Lord's Supper is an equalizer. And so, if all these things are converging into a moment, when I come to the table and when all of you come to the table, when you come to the table and, and the rest of the family comes to the table, we're all at the table, we are the same. Like, we're one. We're A family there is no greater than, less than anything else, because we're all coming to the to the same table to partake of the same body and the same blood and the same grace, the same cross, part of the same family, propelled into the same mission for the glory of the one God. It is a great equalizer. It, is, it brings us back to what is most important. And so we say, yes. So as I draw near to my Savior, you draw near to your Savior. And we're all near to the Savior in communion. And although there's no, there's no solid precedent for baptism having to come before communion in someone's life, sometimes that's the, the tradition is that you can't take communion until you're baptized. But there really isn't a, a strong basis for that. Um, but, but think of it this way. Baptism kind of creates the family, and the communion table sustains the family. And you've probably experienced that. I bet, there are, I bet there are times when you have come to the table, and you're in line with people, and you're letting people out, whatever, and you, there's just a sweetness to it. And as you get closer to whoever's serving, like at that table, and you're hearing the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, over and over and over There's something unifying, there's something solidifying about it. It's because there's this mystery that Jesus has called us into and said, just trust me, let me teach you how to do this, let me show you what this is all about. Let me show you that I love you and I'm Lord and that you're not by yourself. So a lot happens in that sacred moment of that yellow little thing right there. If all the momentum of these rods is all pointing into this one moment, then no wonder God's called us to do this. And honestly, after ten years, I'm sorry we don't we haven't done it more, but we started doing it more regularly, and I think that's some, just some good leadership from the Spirit in that. And I'm glad that you guys have been so affirming and enjoying that, and really wanting to understand it more and stuff that we've kind of. He's kind of led us to this point of maybe being able to understand a little bit more of what he has in mind of how we're blessed and we're kept at the table. It's an amazing thought to me. And I was reading, too, uh, a lot of guys were saying, yeah, we don't really understand why so many communion times in churches are like funeral processions, you know? Because this, like, this should excite us and yeah, you might be coming to the table, you might be broken over sin, and you may come repentant to the table, but even that's full of joy. But how this should propel us, it should bring hope where we are, it should send us forward, it should be encouraging, it should remind you of so much that He meets us at the table to be near to you and to remind you of what's most important. So, I don't really know what to do with this thing, but... Uh, I, I hope that this has been helpful, um, and I suspect for some of you visual learners, maybe it has been. For you podcasters, probably not at all. So as we engage in this as a church community, as we do this more and more and more, um, I hope that we just can trust Jesus as we follow him into this. That's really what we're doing. Is he, says, he said, do this in remembrance of me, This is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which is the new covenant. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. He's pulling in the past and the the future into this present moment. Heaven comes to earth. We come to one another. It's this amazing, mysterious, like kind of weird sometimes thing that hopefully we walk away from being like, I'm not... 100% 100% sure I can, like, diagram what just happened, but I think I get it. If every week we get it a little bit more, a little bit more. And so that, I have a feeling that's here to stay for us. Um, and again, it's not a requirement, you know, we're going we're gonna to respond a few moments and don't feel obligated it's just because the sermon was about it that you have to do it, you know. You may, you may not want what Jesus has to offer. You might not be there. You might not, you know, whatever, that's fine. You can pray. You can sing. You can sit there expressionless, whatever. As we said last week, there's this revelation and then there's our response to it. And so one of the ways you can respond is to stand and sing. You can come kneel and pray. You can come to the table. But just know that Jesus is with us He's called the meeting. He wants to say some things. And he's offering us grace. How, are you, how you choose to go about getting it, that's up to you. But he's offering us his own life and feeding us with what we need through himself. So I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope that it um, can maybe, maybe deepen our experience together uh, on Sunday nights, as hopefully it can last week. And as we continue to move through different practices, I hope that's the same. Um, so how about you stand as the band comes back up.